Hey guys, listen, I don't even know what to tell you. You just gotta watch this message. Uh, we're just, God's just giving us a revival culture change church. Uh, this message, glory after, incredible. I want you to enjoy it. It's called the Almost Forgotten. Yeah, so we wanna create the right atmosphere here. And part of our core values is hunger. And we're not just hungry for the presence of God. We're hungry for the principles of God. We're excited about his word. And uh, I want to make sure you're getting it. And I know you're, you want to make sure you get it also. So John chapter 12, verse number 1 says, Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus died, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And Mary took out a pint of pure nard, expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume. I want to talk from this subject in our time together, family. I almost forgot. Clap your hands in anticipation of what God's going to speak to us today. I almost forgot. For those of you who don't know, I was reared and raised in a small town called Kilmichael, Mississippi. Population less than 500, one full-time police officer, one part-time police officer named Dooney, who, uh, <laughs> who covered the night shift at the police station but drove my school bus during the day. One town doctor. Everybody knew where he lived. So if you went to the clinic and he wasn't there, you just pull up at the crib. <laughs> High school graduating class of 33 people. <laughs> and so in the context of that little country town, we would have these little colloquialisms. The, tide, the creek don't rise, the tide don't fall. <laughs> there were several of them, but one of them stuck with me more than others, and, and maybe you're familiar with this one, even if you didn't grow up in Kilmichael, Mississippi. Here it is. You don't miss your water until your well runs dry. Clap your hands if you know that one. You don't miss your water until your well runs dry. It was a simple yet profound colloquialism because it suggests that sometimes it takes someone to be absent from you for you to realize they were an asset. I'm going to say that one more time, that, that it is suggesting that sometimes it takes someone's absence for someone else to get a revelation that they were an asset. The person didn't become an asset when they were absent. They were always an asset. But sometimes it took the person being absent for someone else to develop an appreciation for how much of an asset they really were. And many of you can testify uh, to the true nature of what I'm teaching because when you look back over your life, maybe there were some people in it who didn't have vision enough to see your value. 
And then when you are no longer in their space, no longer in their relational orbit, no longer a part of their life, now all of a sudden you get these random and sporadic and haphazard messages like, what are you doing? And I don't even have time to talk about the difference between men and women and the way they do this because when women break up, they break up. But when men break up, they take breaks. And we'll text you back three years later like y'all just talked three days ago. What you doing? Drinking my water, minding my business, getting better, getting stronger spiritually, tending to my soul, securing the bag, and moving on. Sometimes it takes absence. For us to realize and recognize that something is an asset. And just as that is the case with our relationship with people, such is the case in our relationship with God. God is always an asset. God always has value. But sometimes the issue when it comes to the way we relate to him is not whether or not he has value, is whether or not we have the vision to see his value in the season that we're in. So in the context of worship, this is so interesting because it suggests to you and me that if you and I are going to do a faithful job, Engaging in the spiritual discipline of PDA, public displays of affection, PDA, private displays of affection also, which the Bible calls worship. It means if we're going to be a good worshiper, we must develop a good memory. You got the random text because they remembered. Let me go to this side. I feel, y'all gonna talk to me over here? Who's talking to the preachers? Yeah, you, you got the random email and the random call because they remembered. Something in their present caused them to remember what they had in the past. And then they took the effort and extended energy now to try to reacquire an asset that's probably no longer attainable. You should have knew what you had when you had me. So their memory gave them a revelation of your worth because you cannot worship beyond your revelation. Because it matters not how worthy God is. What matters when it comes to worship is your revelation of that worth. So God helps us in this area all throughout scripture he's been intentional about encouraging you and me to engage in the discipline and i mean discipline a spiritual discipline of selah of pausing for the cause of reflection and remembering did you hear what I just said? Yeah, he, 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 all throughout scripture, he says, what I need to do is I, 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 I need to, this is what he did in the Old Testament. He said, I'm going to put feast on the, on the calendar of the Israelites 
so that once a year they observe different feasts simply for the purpose of remembering what I did. One of the feasts in the Old Testament was a feast called the Feast of Passover. And he said, once a year, I want y'all to come together and I want you to remember how back in Moses' days, plagues were coming through Egypt. Death was sweeping through the neighborhood. And I gave Moses instruction to tell the heads of households to take the blood from a lamb, put the blood from the lamb on a doorpost. And when I see the blood, I will pass over that house. He said, once a year, I want you to pause and remember the stuff that could have hit your life that passed over. The stuff that could have hit your family that passed over. Wait a minute. The stuff that should have hit you that passed over. And every time you come into the house of God and people are looking at you strange because of your exuberance and your enthusiasm, you ought to just look back at them and say, it's a Passover praise. If you knew what passed over me, you wouldn't be looking at me praising. You'd be helping me praising. This is a Passover praise. He gave them feasts. To remember. All throughout scripture, he, he instructed them to remember because he knows the tendency of the human mind is to forget. The, are y'all, did y'all catch that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So remembering and reflection requires intentionality because it is, it is, it is the, the default posture of the human mind to drift toward entitlement. Not appreciation. I don't even have time to deal with that. But you will have much less relational frustration when you realize that it is the default posture of the human mind to lean toward entitlement, not appreciation. You end up with chronic frustration when you are expecting people's default posture to be appreciation. This is why you're confused because you're like, I told you yes 20 times and I gave you a no on the 21st time, but you treat me like I ain't just give you. Wait a minute. I'm right? Okay. You mean the only thing you remember is the one time I said no, but you do not remember all the times I said yes. I'm confused because it is the default posture of the human mind to lean toward entitlement. In the absence of contentment will be the presence of entitlement. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah. In the absence of contentment will be the presence of entitlement. Contentment is kryptonite for entitlement. So they can never be appreciative if they hadn't learned how to be content. God knows this. So he helps us with us. And all through our scripture, he'll say, remember, 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 remember. Because I can't fix your worship if I don't fix your memory.
I can teach you tactics and antics and Latin etymology, the Latin etymological roots of the word worship, some of the Hebrew words in the Old Testament for worship, some of the Greek words in the New Testament for worship, and none of it will matter without a good memory. Did you hear what I just said? None of it will matter. And this is why God helps us with this. Even in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8, Deuteronomy is the second retelling of the law. It is the telling of the law to a people who have been born in the wilderness, who are going to possess God's promised place called Canaan. And God starts having Canaan conversations with people while they're in the wilderness. They, they get, they, they, they not even in Canaan yet. They're in the wilderness. And God starts having conversations with them about Canaan while they're in the wilderness. He says stuff in Deuteronomy. They're in the wilderness. They don't have no house and he says to them when you get houses you didn't build they have no land so they have no vineyards and he said when you get houses you didn't build when you get vineyards you didn't plant they, they have no land, so they have no wells. So he says, when you get houses, you didn't build. When you get vineyards, you didn't plant. When you get wells, you didn't dig. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gave you the power to get wealth. He's telling them to remember before they even get it. I need to talk to somebody. This is what I call prophetic conversations. It's when God starts talking to you about things that make no sense for you based on the season you in. You like, you talking to me about this when I'm in a that kind of season. And God's like, I move your head before I move your life. Because once I get your head out, your life following. So I start having new season conversations with you when you in an old season I start having next level conversation and the reason some of you are getting ready to see what your eyes haven't seen and your ears haven't heard and your heart had conceived is because God's been talking to you about some stuff that don't make sense now but keep on living and watch him make it make sense I feel like running across this field this morning. I said, watch God. Make it make sense. Somebody help me preach and say, make it make sense. I want you to remember because I cannot express worship if I don't arrest entitlement. And an incredible example of this, y'all got a few minutes? An incredible example of this is seen in our foundational text here in John chapter number 12. Now remember, your pastor's a teacher here. And so this is what I want you to know about the Bible. We cannot understand what this woman did in John chapter 12 if we do not understand what happened in John chapter 11. And so when we train people here to read the Bible, we'll be doing that in change track, right? We don't just tell you to read it. We train you on how. Right? Come on. In that one of the questions Jesus asked, they was like, what is, it, what is this? And Jesus said, what does the word say? And then how do you read it? It's not that I don't trust the Bible. It's I don't trust some people's interpretation. Let, let me go over here. There's nothing wrong with the Bible. There's something wrong with some people's interpretation of the Bible. 
Some people have literally taken the Bible and used the Bible as justification for the mistreatment and the disenfranchisement of people of color. There was a whole doctrine called the doctrine of Ham that was based on a bad interpretation of scripture regarding when one of Noah's sons exposed Noah's nakedness and God cursed them. But the text says he didn't even curse Ham. He cursed the seed. Y'all missed what I just said. So they took that doctrine and used that doctrine to suggest this is why you should be enslaved and this is why you should be marginalized. Wasn't nothing wrong with the Bible. Something was wrong with people's interpretation. People have taken the Bible and used the Bible to spiritually justify the subjugation of women. Y'all not ready for this? Y'all not ready? They have misinterpreted Paul's commands regarding husband and wives and appropriated it for men and women. I'm the only man my wife submit to. Y'all missed that. <laughs> women don't submit to men. It's wives to husbands. <laughs> you need to submit. You need to put a ring on it. I don't hear anybody talking to me today. People have literally used scripture to try to spiritually justify relational preferences. And they've confused Western cultural expectations of women with biblical responsibility. It's not the same. There is no thou shalt fryeth the chicken scripture. Let me go to this side. I felt something over there. Who should cook? Who can? Let me go. I like this. Yeah. Who do the cooking? Whoever do it the best. That's who do it. I'm a man. I should handle the money. Not if you can't count. I don't hear anybody talking to me. Not if you can't count, you can't. Who should handle it? Who's gifted? Because what leadership does is recognizes the gifts that God's given to them and then assigns responsibility to those who are gifted for it. A made man recognizes that. I say, no, 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 I, I don't do this. You do this. Because I do this, we're going to be in the dark. <laughs> you pay the bill. I forgot. <laughs> Context matters. I got to go. Context matters. So some things don't make sense in scripture without context. Making sense? So, 
So we, we can't understand what this woman did in chapter 12. If you just look at her chapter 12, it seems strange and weird. Questionable. But when you understand what happened in chapter 11, so this same lady that's washing Jesus' feet in chapter 12 had a brother in chapter 11 named Lazarus. Her brother Lazarus gets sick. They already have a relationship with Jesus so they know how to get word to him. So they send word to Jesus and say, the one you love, Lazarus, is sick. We need you to get here and intervene. Jesus gets word. The Bible says that he's two days away. It's a two-day journey to Bethany. He stays where he is two days. Lazarus dies. So by the time Jesus starts heading that way, it's four days that Lazarus has been dead. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to bother this. I'm not going to bother this. This is just what was suggested by some historians, right? It's not explicitly stated in Scripture, but it is suggested by some biblical historians. Four days is what the Bible says. Why four? Jesus, why you wait four days? Because some historians have suggested that the Sadducees, not the Pharisees, but the Sadducees had a teaching that the spirit of a man didn't leave the body until three days. So if Jesus would have come any other day before the fourth day, they would have discredited the miracle because they would have said, well, the spirit didn't leave the body. So Jesus waited until by the time he got there, it could be undeniably, indisputably a medical anomaly, a miracle. Jesus does not move when the people he loved want him to move. I'm not going to bother this too much, but he shows us you loving me don't mean you get to control me. Somebody, you, I, I, some, don't do it because some of you want to send that to a text somebody right now. Don't do it. Yeah, you, 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 you loving me don't mean you get to control me. And you can't question the reality of my love because it doesn't meet your expectations. Jesus like, the, the reason I'm not rushing is because me and you have a different interpretation of your situation. You don't see what I'm going through? Jesus like, yeah, I see it. But we don't see the same thing. <laughs> it's in the text, John 11, 11. It says, after this, he had said to the disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. They're like, what you talking about? Now, listen, this. Lazarus is dead, but Jesus said he sleep. Lazarus is dead, but Jesus said he sleep. Lazarus is dead, but Jesus said he sleep. And Jesus is not rushing, rushing in the situation because he's got a different interpretation. To them, he dead. It's over. Jesus like, he sleep. He'll wake up when I get there. You didn't hear what I just said. This is why when Mary, Martha came to him and said, if you would have been here, my brother would have died. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. Y'all miss it. He's like, resurrection isn't a time. Resurrection's a person. Y'all missed it. He's saying to them, I'm a savior that's sovereign. And whoever's sovereign has the final say. Time and me both can't be sovereign. The fact that you think it's over lets me know you think time is sovereign. 
but because I'm sovereign, time's got to bow its knee to me. So whenever I get there, it's on time because time has to do what I say. I don't know who needs to hear this, but you may be wondering, when is God going to come? When is God going to show up? I came to tell you, on time. When is he going to open the door? On time. When is he going to make the way? On time. Because whenever he gets there, it's on time. I'm sovereign, not time. You saying it's too late says that you believe time is sovereign. I'm not going to bother this. See? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the 12. I can bother it here. Because I, I ain't even, I, 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 I couldn't give the 10 and get this. Here it is. Here it is. If you read John 11, you can proof text me on this. When Martha comes, Jesus starts talking about the resurrection. Martha goes back and get Mary. I want somebody to, to, I'm going to prove this to you. I want somebody to look at this in John 11. Because Martha go back to the house and say, Mary, the master calling for you. Jesus ain't called for Mary. Look at it. Why did Martha do this? Well, earlier Jesus was at their house. A time earlier. Martha's running all around fixing food, setting the table, and Mary is sitting at his feet. I don't have time to deal with this, but Martha represents a person who's in a season where they are overcommitted and overwhelmed. And when you're dealing with overcommitment, Right? It's, it's what uh, John Mark Homer calls a hurried spirit. Jesus was busy but never hurried. He, he says, love has a speed and hurry ain't it. Because you never at your best when you hurried. Impulsive and sharp and temperamental and inconsiderate. So she's overwhelmed so she gets resentful toward people that it looked like not working hard as her. So she said to Jesus, you're not going to say nothing to Mary? And Mary, Jesus said to Martha, you're concerned about many things. But she's concerned about the one thing that's not going to be taken away from her. Martha, you letting your work for the Lord distract you from the Lord of the work. Get down here at my feet. You so busy working for me, Martha, you're not with me. So when... When, when Martha gets to Jesus and he give her a Sunday school lesson, she run back to Mary because she realized I couldn't get him to move. But Mary, he called. Y'all look, y'all, come on now. And what? You don't believe me. You don't believe me. Here it is, here it is, here it is. Uh-uh, I got you, I got you, I got you, I got you. Uh, John, follow me immediate. John chapter number 11, verse number 23. Jesus said, your brother shall rise again. Martha said, I know he'll rise again the last day at the resurrection. He said, I'm the resurrection, blah, 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 blah. 
Look at verse 28. Put verse 28 on the screens. John 11, verse 28, because the 12 o'clock don't believe me. Please put it on the screens. Verse 28. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside and said, the teacher is here and is asking for you. He didn't ask for her. (laughs) Y'all not talking to me. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still at the place where Martha met him. The Jews who were with her at his his house, uh, consoling her, saw Mary rise up quickly. They followed her. Now watch this. Verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you've been here, my brother would not have died. Okay. Y- y- y'all, y'all not here? Okay. Uh, give me verse 21 in the back. 11. Go back to verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. That's what Martha said. I said, that's what Martha said. All right, now go back to verse 32. Mary said, Lord, if you've been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But watch Jesus' response. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come with her weeping, he was deeply moved and was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? Tario, I got to go. Martha comes and says, if you've been here, my brother wouldn't have died. He give her a theology lesson. Mary come and say the same thing. Show me where you laid him. Because a busybody can't get him to move. But a worshiper will get a different response out of the same God. Show me where you laid him. He can't stand to see a worshiper weep. Tario, I'm done. We, we've been in church a long time. Here it is. Here it is. Jesus goes to that tomb. As a matter of fact, if you actually look at verse 35, it says something so powerful. It says, Jesus wept. Jesus, why are you crying? You was the one that was late. Why are you crying? You know you're about to fix the situation. Why are you crying? He models healthy grief. Just because I know it's going to be all right in the end don't mean I'm not hurting in the middle. He walks up to the tomb. He says, Lazarus, come forth. Reverend Dr. E.V. Hill said, he said, Lazarus, come forth because of the profundity, the profundity and the potency of his word. If he just said, come forth, everything dead would have got up out of that grave. He had to put a name on it. Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says Lazarus came leaping out of that tomb. And he looked at the friends 
and the family that were around, he said, loose him and let him go. Unwrap him and let him go. Dead four days. Alive again. So sometime later, Jesus leaves and sometime later he comes back to Bethany and he goes back to their house. And Mary probably walk in the room and see Lazarus sitting in a chair and see Jesus sitting next to him. And she probably thought, Lazarus, you wouldn't be in this chair if it wasn't for the man sitting in that chair. Every time she looked at Lazarus, she probably welled up with emotion because she remembered what it felt like to see her brother in a tomb. She probably can't even believe that he's sitting in the house. And so her gratitude caused her to get up unannounced, go in a back room, grab an alabaster box. Walk through all the people in the crowd. Get down on her knees. Break that box. Take that ointment and put it on his feet. Wiped his feet with her hair. Culturally, the glory of a woman was her hair. So when she's giving him her hair, she's giving him glory. Because she's saying, I'm doing this in my chapter 12 because I remember my chapter 11. I am done. We are way over time. That's because y'all danced. And some of y'all are like, that's why I come to this service because I need space. Be rushing my praise. Here's the problem. Can I, can I, can I just talk to you like, like we've been together 17 years? That's how long I've been pastoring this church, but can I talk to you like we've been together 17 years? I've seen God bring so many people to their chapter 12. But very rarely do I see them bring their chapter 11 worship with them? Marlon, I have not seen many people experience God's favor and fruitfulness and maintain their spiritual fervor. They get it and they lose him. And we should not have to be poor, broken, disoriented, to be grateful. The degree shouldn't make me less grateful. It should make me more. Everybody wants a chapter 12. My question is, will you bring the chapter 11 worship with you? 
do you remember what your chapter 11 felt like? Because everybody's had a Lazarus situation. You have had something in your life that broke you so deeply. Maybe it wasn't the death of a physical person. Maybe it was the death of a relationship. But everybody's had something that broke you into pieces. That's your chapter 11. And you get to chapter 12 and you forget. The blessings he's given you have now made you too busy to bless him. You are so blessed now, you can't be consistent. And God's like, do you not remember where you were when I found you? Do you not remember what we have walked through together? Have you forgotten? God can't fix our worship until he fix our memories. And some of you have forgotten what chapter 11 feel like. I ain't forgot. I ain't forgot. I ain't forgot sitting in my truck <laughs> after the food stamp office told me I didn't qualify for food stamps and I'm wondering how I'm going to take care of Shamika and Seth pulled her from her dream job in Mississippi having to look her parents in the face telling them I'm taking their only daughter halfway across the country and I have no money chasing a word from God I remember how embarrassed I was. I remember I sat in that car and cried. I felt like less of a man. I remember... I remember having to um, use a gift card somebody gave us for Valentine's Day. We dropped Seth off at put me on my feet but I'm going to stay on my knees with all my degrees I'm going to be right here with all my accomplishments I'm going to be right here with every door that he's open I'm going to be right here because I remember
And today I just challenge you to never forget.